Moving on. Anywho. Look, I appreciate it. You're trying to, you're trying to you know, better me. I'm trying to look out for you. Hey, everybody. I'm Kai Rizdahl. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this Thursday, January the 11th. Thursday shows are where we go back to listen to some of the big stories of the week. We've got some audio clips lined up. We will discuss same. Juan Carlos, let's go. When the hard right says they want to shut down, they are saying they want these things. VA closures, no food inspections, delayed military benefits, and so much more. This shows you that the hard right is not serious about governing. The only tactic in their playbook is to try and bully the rest of Congress and the country to bend to their extremist views. So that was Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, mm-hmm. a Democrat, as you could mm-hmm. probably guess. Uh, and that was today. Uh, he announced that he's going to go ahead and get the ball rolling on a stopgap funding bill to try and avoid a government, a partial government shutdown that would start next week. So if you remember back when we had our last almost yeah. partial government shutdown, we ended up with what was called a laddered CR, which was that they divided up the appropriations bills into basically two buckets expiring at different points in time. The first expiration date is coming up on January the 19th. In theory, giving themselves time to pass the individual appropriations bills, which they did not. And so over the weekend, we got this deal with... Um, House Speaker Johnson and Schumer over in the Senate and the White House with what are called the top line spending numbers. And this sets defense and non-defense spending. And usually from there, you would then break down how much each of the individual appropriations bills is going to get and then actually write the bills. And maybe they'd be bundled together in an omnibus or minibus or whatever. So they reached this deal on the top line numbers which are basically the same top line numbers that we had before McCarthy got ousted that was in the debt ceiling deal, whatever. But it was a deal and it was going to avoid a partial government shutdown come the 19th. But this week, and I was looking right before we we came in here trying to see what the latest is, Mm -hmm. House Republicans, those that far right that Schumer was talking about, are balking at this deal. And we're in closed door meetings with Johnson, you know, earlier today saying we're not going to go along with this. We need to renegotiate it. And renegotiating it at this point is is obviously a no go on on what at least in terms of what the Democrats say it would take. A long time. Um, and, and it's not going to be a deal that the other parties are going to get on board with. And Johnson's been saying, look, this is the best I could do. It's a good deal. Um, but we we just don't know at this point. There are some procedural votes that are happening that are kind of moving the trains along. But there's a lot of opposition to this uh, in among House Republicans. So it's not clear yet that this is actually going to make it through. But we are looking at If all goes well, another continuing resolution for this bucket of bills that was supposed to be passed before the 19th. It is two things. It is, number one, Mm. remarkable to me that the House Republican Caucus is again eating itself from the inside out. Truly. Mm. I know I shouldn't be surprised, but I am. Number two, this is me completely spitballing. I'd say the odds of at least a partial government shutdown on the 19th of this month are north of 95 percent. Mm, interesting. I, I, I don't think you can get House Republicans, the ones who really irate about this deal, to go along with the CR. They just won't. 
true, but you might get enough Democrats and Republicans to get on board with the CR, which will then that, well, end that's up true. with that's exactly true. what happened to McCarthy because it's effectively the same deal. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the same top line numbers and Johnson is being put in the same position where this is probably the best deal that he can get. He won't be able to pass it with just Republicans, but most of the Republicans in the House do right. not right. want a government shutdown blamed on them. And so he'll have to go and get Democratic support, which could, depending on how the people on the far right in the Republican Party feel— uh, could end up with him getting called up like McCarthy did and, ha- and lose his speakership. But who knows? Who says politics is dull, huh? <laughs> anyway. Better than TV. Right. All right. Let's get to the next piece of audio. We're going to approach this, number one, acknowledging our mistake. We are going to approach it with 100% and complete transparency every step of the way. We're going to work with the NTSB, who is investigating the accident itself to find out what the root cause is. I have a long experience with this group. They're as good as it gets. So that was the CEO of Boeing, Dave Calhoun, speaking at a company town hall this week, speaking, of course, uh, about uh, the door plug that flew off that Alaska Airlines flight last weekend. The FAA is investigating. NTSB is doing all its tests. And we frankly don't know exactly what's going to happen. Alaska Airlines has grounded all of its nine MAX planes, 737s, through Saturday. United, uh, you have to believe, is going to do the same thing. Um, Mm -hmm. This is a real problem for this company, and it's a problem um, not of um, uh, competitive nature, right? Because there are only two companies on the planet that make big commercial airplanes, right? Airbus and Boeing. And while it's tempting to say, ooh, airlines ought to just order now from Airbus, the problem is that you, if you order a brand new Airbus uh, 320 or 321, I think you don't get it until um, 2029. So there's a backlog here because capacity is so limited, right? But the other part of this is would you put your family on a Boeing 737 uh, MAX 9 right now. And I don't know that a lot of people are going to go, yeah, uh-huh, I'm definitely going to do that. So that's that's mm-hmm. a real challenge. I think it's it's really, 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 really treacherous territory for Boeing right now. It really is. And I mean, this comes what, how long has it been since their last big investigation? Five, five years. Uh, 2019 was, was those, those two in, in Malaysia and um, Ethiopia. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but it's this is what happens when you yep. have market capture, right? And right. You still right. end up exactly. going back. Exactly. Uh, all right. Next one. Here we go. In 15 seconds, should voters in their 20s plan on having to work until they're 70? They should plan on their retirement age being increased. Yes. We're going to change it to reflect more of what uh, life expectancy should be. Hmm. Oh, boy. That set off a firestorm. So this is uh, presidential candidate Nikki Haley answering a question from CNN's Jake Tapper last night at the Republican presidential debate ahead of the Iowa caucuses, uh, of which only two of the Mm. (laughs) it's it's funny to say top three candidates because there's such a gap. But anyway, two of the top three candidates actually appeared. Trump was doing his own Fox town hall a couple miles away. Uh, Ron DeSantis was the other person 
there. Haley has called for an overhaul of Social Security and, and Medicare. And I know we've got a deep dive coming up on, on aging mm-hmm. uh, and, and things coming up in a couple weeks. And I'm really looking forward to digging into that. But she's speaking to the reality that our Social Security program is is not fully funded. You and I were talking the other day about Social Security taxes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how they do not work so mm-hmm. well. Um, but this is this particular clip that she said has been fodder. Trump has put the Trump campaign campaign put out an ad today targeting Haley over her calls to change the retirement age in order to keep Social Security funding. Haley has come back and said that he's taking her out of context and that's not true. But this just gets at this third rail of American politics that some people are, I guess, trying to touch with rubber gloves, <laughs> gloves, hoping that they don't don't get really, electrocuted. Really thick rubber gloves, yeah. <laughs> really thick. Um, DeSantis says he wouldn't raise the retirement age. But, you know, if you listen to uh, some of these House Republicans uh, in particular who have been talking about the debt and deficit, one of the things they often will say is that nobody wants to have the hard conversations mm-hmm. and that Social Security is part of the hard conversations. And they're right. People do not want uh, to talk, at least politicians don't want to talk about the fact that the program, as it is currently designed, is not sustainable. And whatever changes are made are going to hurt somebody. Right. And um, so, yeah, that is already giving a lot of ammunition, say, to Haley's opponents. Uh, Haley's come out and and tried to clean it up a bit and and add more context. But, of course, context doesn't really work in political campaigns. I think it is so interesting that that Haley is talking about raising the retirement age when nobody is talking about this thing that you and I mentioned a a week or two ago or whenever the heck it was Mm -hmm. about uh, Social Security taxes, right? I mean, (laughs) as it stands now, just to refresh everybody's memory, you are taxed on, for Social Security purposes, on about $160,000 worth of your income, right? Which means if you Mm -hmm. make less than that, you're taxed on your entire income. Right. If you make over one hundred sixty thousand dollars, there comes a point in the year once you've made your one sixty that you're not paying Social Security taxes anymore. And it is I, I don't understand the politics of it where she says we're going to make hardworking. Right. And and middle class mm-hmm. people in this economy retire later. But everybody mm-hmm. who makes more than one sixty, you're good to go. Because you can't be a Republican saying you want to raise taxes. But, but how much sense does that make? It makes no sense, speaking of hard conversations. I mean, it's nutty. Yes. It's nutty. It is, but you also don't hear Democrats saying it either. No, totally. Right? Oh, absolutely. No, look, the, the whole revenue side of the deficit yeah. and fiscal imbalance thing that we have in this economy has fallen by the wayside. Nobody even thinks really about it. Has. It's all about cutting, cutting, cutting. And I'm like... Nobody likes to pay taxes, but we all like roads and we all like fire departments and we all like swimming pools, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And sewers and all the rest. And yeah. All those things that, yeah. that keep yeah. society running right. in theory. Right. All right. Last clip of audio for the day. Let's just recognize this is just one of what I think is a long laundry list of potential asset class catalysts this year. I mean, next up, we would have the Ethereum spot ETF decision and then we move on to the April Bitcoin halving, on and on, any one of which I think is important uh, in the context of what is still a very small asset class. 
Oh, boy. Well, there's a lot in there. That was Ben Laidler. He's a strategist at the trading platform eToro. And he was talking about this thing that happened la- the past couple of days, which I think we talked about. Uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission has approved some Bitcoin ETFs. Those are exchange-traded funds, which are funds that trade on exchanges like stocks, except they are underwritten. Their their asset class in this quest case is Bitcoin. They did it. If, if you take SEC Chair Gary Gensler at his word, extremely reluctantly. Gensler said mm-hmm. in a statement, we are approving these Bitcoin ETFs. We are not approving of or endorsing Bitcoin. There is, so first of all, please, please, please consult your own financial advisor. Mm-hmm. There is peril here because Bitcoin is a deeply, deeply speculative instrument. And while I appreciate people want to get in and it is now easier to do that, hang on to your hats because crypto trading is, is, is a tricky, tricky beast. I've gotten, <laughs> I've already been getting pitches from big, you know, yeah, I'm sure. online trading companies saying, we, we've got one now. Do you yep. want to talk about yep. it? You know, yeah, and I'm just like, man. Yep. Um, yep. But, you know, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to say, to, to not take it seriously if you're an average consumer and you're looking at the price of Bitcoin, right? It's not doing terribly right now, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's very speculative, but, you know, as, uh, so are lots of other things that people feel very comfortable investing in. You know, um, I was doing that story on gold prices a, a mm-hmm. week or two mm-hmm. ago and was stunned when the guy who spent, you know, years researching the price of gold going back millennia and he was like yeah it doesn't do much better than other investments including like the stock market you know it's not these narratives we have about what are and are not safe investments are not necessarily the most accurate narratives to begin with and so if you're a regular person sort of looking at the price of bitcoin and and looking at the volatility there versus the volatility of the stock market it may not look all that different um but, you know, in theory, in theory, stocks are backed by companies and stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, businesses as opposed to ideas. But yeah. there you go. We've, we've, we've beaten this horse yes. quite a bit. All right. Uh, all right. That is it for today. Please join us tomorrow for our first economics on tap of the year. Going to be so much fun. Our YouTube live stream starts at 630 Eastern, 330 Pacific. Today's episode of this podcast, which is called Make Me Smart, was produced by Courtney Bergseek, our audio engineering by Juan Carlos Dorado. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. And on demand. Just got to throw it in for fun. And on demand. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine... I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. 
This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.